Good morning, Reach family. We love you guys. We miss being together uh, in our public service. Uh, we look forward to the day that we will be able to join together again. Um, if you want to stay up to date on fresh info of when that's going to happen, make sure to um, follow and like and subscribe to our channels on YouTube. Facebook and Instagram, as soon as we have a directive of when we can publicly start having services and what those services are going to be like, we, you will hear directly from us um, on our social media platforms. Uh, until we can do that, we'll be right here every Sunday morning so that we can sir, have service with you and your family. Um, but we do look forward to the days when we can get together again, that we can worship uh, together again, uh, live, in person. Uh, but until that happens, uh, we're glad to have this opportunity to still uh, worship together and be in the Word together. So uh, if you missed the message last week, I recommend that you listen to it. Um, I'm going to reference it a lot, but I think it'll make um, the next few weeks make a lot more sense. Uh, because last week we talked about this idea that you, if you want to get unstuck anywhere... Uh, you have to get the right yoke on. And uh, that reference is out of Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus saying that to you this morning, come to him. He is the one that can help you get unstuck. 29, it says, take my yoke. Upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the reality. We have one, one or the other. We're wearing a yoke. We're either wearing a yoke of our own doing or we're putting on the yoke that Jesus offers us, which is light and easy. And remember when the word easy is more like the word good. Because it is good. It, it, it gets us to the ability, to the place that we can move forward. Because being stuck isn't necessarily um, like everything's broken. It just means that you, in one area or another, have stopped moving forward. And so this Sunday, this morning, we're specifically going to talk about getting unstuck in our relationships. Healthy relationships never hear this, never just happen. If you want a good marriage, if you want good relationships with your families and friends, it's not just going to happen. If your relationships are stuck in unhealthy patterns, doing nothing won't change it at all. So we have to be active in that. And, and just a little disclaimer, because I know when we talk about relationships, that there's a lot of people that will listen to this this morning that have been deeply wounded by past and present relationships. And I know there's some that are going to listen to this that have been so wounded, they don't know how to move forward. And, and, and I, I get that. So I, I don't want you to feel judgment on some of the things that we're going to talk about or trying to make, move forward. And maybe you've tried these things. Maybe it is just so broken that you don't know what to do. And, and, and we want to be here for you. Uh, if there's things that we can help you as a church, let us do so. But for everyone else out there that if just struggling with relationships, and that could be with your spouse, that could be with your family, that could be, and I, I think if nothing else, um, 
just like in lots of areas of our life, the, uh, the stay-at-home order has tested our relational health with those that we live with, those, our spouses and children. It may have pushed you to the breaking point. You may have very well need to hear every word that this uh, message is going to say to you. And I just encourage you this morning that outside of the power of Jesus Christ, outside of you wearing the right yoke and putting on and learning from him, uh, there isn't a way out of where you're at. But with him, he can lead you to health. He can lead this relationship from being stuck to one that is healthy and growing and one that you can use not only for the benefit of your family, for your children to see, but for others as you learn to navigate into healthy relationships. It is real estate. It is things that you can help other people move to that same place. So before we get there, before we get into the word, I want us to pray because I, I don't know about you. Uh, but anytime I teach on uh, relationships, anytime I teach on marriage, um, I, I believe that the enemy, uh, maybe it's my own flesh, um, it, it just I get opportunities to walk these very things out. And for us, all of us, we need a fresh word on how we're going to do that. And without the influence of the Holy Spirit, we're lost. So I want to just pray and ask God to do in us what we're unable to do, to encourage us to do the things that we need to do. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, we ask, we beg for your intervention in our relationships where they've been broken, uh, either by us or others. Lord, I pray that you would help us see how that we can be led by you into bringing health, into these relationships, bringing vitality back, bringing uh, newness of life, joy and peace in things where there was chaos and frustration. And so, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit, through your word, would intervene with us this morning. And I pray that there's no words that my brain forgets in today's service. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah, if you missed the uncut version from last week of me forgetting the word ox, it's hilarious. You should go watch it. It's on all of our social media. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. It looks like I paused in the middle. I didn't pause. I just, I couldn't think of the word ox. So uh, I hope you guys got a, a good kick out of that. It was, um, I'm just grateful that that wasn't in a live environment. Though, if I was in a live environment, some of you would have let me know right off the get-go that it was ox. And I miss that because I need your help. Okay, so here's one thing. Though we'll spend the bulk of the time making reference to marriage relationships, most of the practical tips can work with other relationships too. Sorry, I've been married for 22 years and, and that's the most predominant relationship that I, I have been in in my life for 22 years and one that I'm going to be in and have to work at um, for years and years and years to come uh, and looking forward to always making life better uh, with me and my wife. Love you, Jody. 
Um, so the first thing I want to read to you, first text that I think is critical, because I think sometimes, depending on where you're at, you might be just thinking, mm, uh, mm, I'm just better alone. I don't need anybody. I can make it on my own. I don't need help from others. I think this is a, a good reference to this out of Ecclesiastes um, chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It says two are better than one. Yes, because they have good reward on their toil. For if they fall, one will lift his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I'm going to quote Mr. T from the A-team. I pity the fool. I don't know if y'all remember that. I know I'm dating myself right there. But it is disastrous when we don't have others in our life that can help us in those moments when we stumble and fall, which are happening, have happened, and will happen. We need other people. It is We're better together with others in our life. The health of our relationship will determine whether or not you have someone else to help you get back up. So it's beneficial for you to sow in and make your relational equity as thorough and deep as you can so that when you need it, people are there. I found this text in Ephesians 4, and it's not Ephesians 5, which I've talked about when um, when referencing marriage, but I think it's something that we need to look at. And it's the bulk of the text that we're going to get into. And then I've got a fair amount of practical application, some things that I think that you'll need to walk in and do this week. But Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24, it's it's entitled New Life because honestly... This is the reality. If new life hasn't happened in us, if we haven't taken off the old yoke and put it on the new yoke and and are learning, following and being led by Jesus, we're going to miss out on that life. And I think this text speaks volumes to that. So it's starting in verse 17. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in their futility of their minds. That's the reality. Before we did what we thought was best based on our knowledge and experience, when in reality God wants to lead us, he wants us to put on his yoke to lead us to this easy and good place. It says, we are called to, not, this is my words, we are called to walk differently, taking on his yoke. In verse 7, 18, it says, they, still talking about the Gentiles, which is what we are, unless you were born um, out of a Jewish family. In verse 18, it says, they were darkened in their understanding. How much of our relational conflict has come because we're darkened in our understanding of what's literally going on and we go off our wisdom, which sometimes, if we're going to be honest, a lot of times is wrong. They were darkened in their understanding, alienating, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. I think most of relational uh, conflict is coming from this reality that we have so let our hearts be hardened because of things that have happened, things that we've allowed to happen, things that we've walked in, unrepentant sin that we're missing out on, and that hardness of heart is influencing our interactions day in, day out with the ones that we love the most 
and be completely honest. How many of us will treat an absolute stranger with more dignity and respect and love than we will the ones that we are called to love the most? We do that all day long. In verse 19, it says, They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. That's where, that's where that life of the other yoke leads us without changing to Jesus' yoke. In verse 20, but, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Remember what it said last week in Matthew? It says, learn from me. In verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, that other way, that hardened of heart, that darkened perspective. And put off that old self which belongs to your formal manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Listen to this. And I know we, we did a series not too long ago. You can still check it out on our website um, about our, our minds. And it says, you know, and this this is the reality. Every action, every stupid thing you say or do starts in your mind. So if you can renew your mind, have uh, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, if that can be renewed, it can help shape and mold your actions. If you don't do that, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. You cannot hide that stuff that's going on inside of you. And he's saying here, didn't you learn from this new way of living? Didn't you learn from Christ not to be like that? In verse 24, and it says to put on a new self. So you're taking off the old, you're putting on the new. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having to put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. How many of us can say that when we get angry, we're not sinning? Probably not many of us. Probably, honestly, none of us. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Here, here's one great thing that let me just tell you as any relationship, if you have a tension, if you have a fight, deal with that issue now, not later. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because the reality is, is the longer you do nothing about it, the longer you give opportunity to the devil to ruin that relationship Potentially forever. Instead of when you walk in this manner and deal with the issues. And let me just tell you, it's hard. Yes. If you entered in a relationship with you, with someone that you cared enough to say, I do to, entered into a covenant with them, that you should love them enough to go through the hard things, deal with the things that are going on. And I understand in the moment, I used to tell this to a lot of couples that I did premarital counseling with. Is that in the moment, 
<laughs> you, you know, like once you've reached that boiling point, the only thing that's going to come out of you, if, if you ever put a, a kettle on the stove, when it gets to that boiling point and it's just whistling, that, that steam is coming out, that's probably not the right time to try to fix that. And so my recommendation was always to have this, this plan of action when you get to that point that you had some type of code word, and I don't know why I always use the example of penguin. Jody and I don't use that word. But when you get to that point that one of the others can say, hey, this is our code word. We need to just separate for just a minute. We need to walk into other rooms. One of us need to go walk around the neighborhood and then calm down so that we can come back and fix it. But the point is, is to come back and fix it. Because just like I mentioned earlier, good relationships aren't going to happen. Hard things, painful things that happen aren't going to be healed if you do nothing about them. If you ignore them, ignoring them is not going to correct them. In verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work on his own with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Entering into this yoke, it changes not only what you want to do in your mind, but it changes what you do. It's saying, hey, if you were doing something, some of you are like, what does thieving have to do with my relationship? The the truth is, some of you are thieving from your relationship, meaning that you're stealing things. And I don't mean like literally you're going through the house and putting a TV in your pocket and taking money, which you may be doing. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, you need to stop that. You need to correct that. You need to fix that. But I'm talking about that you're stealing happiness from your family. And let me... Let me retract that word. I don't like the word happiness. Happiness is based on something that we have. Uh, let's use the what word I like, which is joy. You're stealing the joy from your family. So if that's you because of your bad attitude, if that's you because you're unrepentant sin, if that's you because you're not dealing with those hard things, then let put on the right yoke and change what you do. So if you were stealing, rather go labor, doing stuff with your hands so that you can have something to share with those in need. Listen in verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasions that it may give grace to those who hear it. For any of those listening to this message that knew me when I was the youth pastor at Grace Church, the uprising, there was a group of you that we literally memorized that. And that would be, you would call somebody, does, does anybody remember this? You would call out another person if they weren't living this out and they would have to do 10 push-ups. We did that for years. We had kids that were like, hey, if you're going to not do that and you're you're walking the way of Jesus, then get down and give me 10. So just a, you know, just a reminder for those that may or may not be listening to today. Those were good times. So not only do we change what we do, but we change what we say. We can't correct. We can't fix unhealthy ways or patterns in our relationships if we won't learn to control what's coming out of our mouth we won't learn to do the right thing with our words let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only what is good of building up as it fits the occasion speaking words that give life because that reality is especially in relationships especially in marriages that lie that says sticks and stones will break my bones but your words will never hurt me that is a lie and not just in marriages 
Our words are powerful. They have the, <laughs> they have literally life and death on them. We can build up our spouse, which is what this is talking about, or build up these other people that we're in relationship with, or we can destroy them. And if we're going to walk into this new life, if we're going to put on the right yoke, this is where Jesus is going to lead us to doing the right things, saying the right things. In verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. Which one of the main points that we're going to talk to in the application part of this is that reality. Is that forgiveness is not optional for us as believers. It says tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you how much penalty pain suffering did jesus have to go through to pay the penance for you and he has offered forgiveness to you and i i I, just like in my disclaimer earlier i understand that there's some some that are listening to this that 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 forgiveness is still necessary Forgiveness doesn't mean necessarily allowing those potentially dangerous, potentially uh, disruptive people still to be in your life. But we are still called to walk in forgiveness. So here here's some practical things. If we're going to get our relationships unstuck, it's going to take action. It's going to take work. You know, at the end of this, you're going to be like, yes, yes, I I, I can. Uh, I'm I'm going to do something today. Uh, The reality is that is true. You can do something, but you need a game plan. So here are some things, uh, four great skills for lifetime, healthy, loving relationships. And the words are remembering, asking, deciding, and studying. And remember, the model for all of these things comes from Jesus, the right yoke, Him teaching you, you following Him, being His apprentice, looking into the Gospels, looking into His Word, and following Him through what He says. So the first one in remembering... Remember to assume the best. Got some great tips. We had a staff meeting this week and and a lot of these practical things came from our staff who loves you and wants to see you walk in freedom in your relationships, walk in the joy and peace that God gets to lead us into. So assume the best. And if you, any of our people at Reach or otherwise have, have read or gone through the study, um, uh, love and respect, you've heard this before. It, it, the way we assume, what we assume when people are talking to us is going to change the way we interact with them. So if we remember to assume the best, remember that when the other person is doing something, they... Uh, 
love you. They are, they want the best for you. Uh, 99% of our conflict in our relationship is when I misinterpret Jody's uh, words to me. She She's saying things, and I'm telling you what, I um, wouldn't be married for 22 years if it wasn't for my wife. I mean, I... Um, God made a excellent um, choice for me and her love her to death. And 90% of our conflict comes from me misinterpreting um, through a, the wrong lens of what she's trying to do. Because a lot of times she will see something that needs work on or uh, something that I need to do. And she's saying it in love, like, hey, we need to do this or you should do that. I take it as like, oh, you, you, you don't approve of what I'm doing or I'm not doing it right or I'm not good enough. Instead, Instead of assuming, remembering that, that she wants the best for me, which is always the reality. Jody's benefit um, is she wants to see the best for me. And if you change, if you remembered every conversation that you're having with your significant other, with your family member, if you go, man, I mean, you know their history. And I know the history of my wife that she loves me. And I know that she wants the best for me. She wants the best for our family. So when she's saying stuff to me, it is easy for me to assume that she means the best for me. But it's something consciously that I have to do. And it's something consciously that you're going to have to do. Is to assume that they want the best for you. Assume that the baseline of their identity is that they love you. Not their identity, but their their identity in their love for you is that they love you. They want the best for for you if you started every interaction with your spouse or significant other or family member assuming that they want the best for you how would that change the interactions i've seen it i I mean i see it in me when when she says something i have this very i want people to like me i know it's a dangerous thing i want i want you know and so like when i feel like i'm not getting approval from somebody i take it negatively like they don't like me or whatever and so when jody is just going hey we should do this she's she's trying to get something better out of me and i take it like oh i'm hurt and i respond out of that hurt instead of just assuming that she wants the best for me that's tip number one assume that they want the best for you the next one asking Asking for and granting forgiveness is going to be a pivotal point in your relationship. I remember someone said uh, once that the, the level of your maturity is how quickly you repent of your wrongdoing. How quickly you come to the place of going, I shouldn't have and repent of the words, the what, whatever. That's the level of your maturity, the the. the the period of time that it takes you to walk in that like, oh man, I just did that. I, I need forgiveness for this. I need to ask. So asking grant and granting forgiveness. Note, this action isn't really a skill. It doesn't take any skill to say the words, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. It takes character. It takes being humble enough to admit you're not perfect. And one thing Jody and I went through probably 10 years ago, this counseling, we went to this retreat for couples. And I remember probably one of the most pivotal thing uh, in there, it was talking about forgiveness. And I think sometimes we use the word like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry has about the same gravity, the same weight as I love you. 
if it's just words not followed by action. And so um, the the retreat thing that we went to, they went through this phrase that you would say, I'm sorry, which is usually where we stop. Because we've been called in something or we've done something. We acknowledge that they, we've hurt them and we're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's two parts that we sometimes leave out. I was wrong. That's the humility of going, I was wrong when I did this. Please forgive me. So I'm sorry. I was wrong. Acknowledge what you actually did, what you said, how you did it, whatever. Acknowledge it and then ask for forgiveness. And the truth is, another thing that we'll have to ask for is not just grant, asking and granting forgiveness. Another thing that we'll ask for, uh, we'll need to ask for, uh, is that it's okay to ask for help. I think some of us stay in really um, unhealthy relationships and don't get them better. I don't mean stay like you're, you're going to leave there. But I'm saying a lot of us don't move into a healthier place because we're unwilling to ask for help. And I just want to tell you, I wouldn't be here and lots of other people in our church wouldn't be as healthy and happy, there is that word again, joyous as they are right now if at some point in their life they didn't just reach out and say, I need help. You know, maybe for you it's finding a mentor couple. In your relationship, you're like, man, we're, we're struggling here. We just need someone else to bounce ideas off. And I, I love interacting with other young couples. And, and let me just tell you, it, it's interesting. Most of my premarital counseling that I've done with couples is, is mostly telling them all the dumb things not to do. Like, here's things that you shouldn't do because I, in my own experience, have learned from my own stupidity. But it's all right and understanding that you need to ask sometimes for help. So that may be your your point, your thing for this week is ask somebody for help. Start talking about what's actually going on. And here's the end of that verse that we read just a second ago. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So remembering, assuming the best, asking and granting forgiveness or asking for help. Uh, the next one is deciding. And this one I think is a little hard for people sometimes to hear. Deciding that love is a choice. One of our biggest misunderstandings about marriage in our day is that people think marriage is based on love. And that love is a feeling love isn't a feeling it's an action it's a way of acting a thing you do the bible's most famous passage on love first corinthians 13 says that love is patient kind not envious not boastful not proud not rule rude not self-seeking not easily angered that god's um, that's God's description of love. What part of it is based on emotions? So many people let relationships just crumble away because of this lie that they've hung on to. I don't feel in love anymore. 
Well, the reality is, is that most people within a few years of getting married, you don't necessarily feel it because it's not this emotional thing. It's a choice. You're going to have to get up every morning and choose to love another person. If you want to be married for any period of time, you're going to have to choose them. Choose to love them over and over and over again. Because it's not a feeling. It's not just something that we do and, and, and go, oh man, why well, I don't feel it, so I'm not going to work at it. What the reality is, is that you can bring that feeling of love back to yourself by the actions that you sow into that relationship. Deciding that love is a choice. And here's the last thing. So you've got remembering to assume the best, asking and granting forgiveness, and asking when necessary for help, deciding that love is uh, a choice that you get to choose, that I'm going to love this person. Let me just tell you, uh, I choose to love my wife for the rest of my life. No matter what. In 22 years of marriage, there's been times where you're like, oh, I'm so aggravated with this person. But the, the core of our relationship is I choose, I chose to enter into a lifelong covenant with Jody. And what that means is I'm going to choose by the grace of Jesus, by his teaching, by his learning, by his guiding, I'm going to choose to love Jody Just like Christ chooses to love you even when you don't deserve it. Well, for one, we never deserved his love. And the beauty of it is, is that he over and over and over again still chooses to love. He chose to go to the cross for us. And so here's the last thing. Studying. Learning to love your spouse. This season is about becoming a better student of your spouse. Part of the issue in most of our relationships is we've stopped studying our spouses. If you can remember back, some of you, it's not too long ago, and some of you, it's been a really long time when you were dating your significant other. Back then, it was like, it was like your degree passion. To study them. You knew what they liked and what they didn't like. And what they liked you did. And what you what they didn't like you didn't do. Because you were a student. Of it. You were always paying attention. You remember those little things that you would keep. Because they meant stuff to you about. Because you were studying. Oh they like these books. Or oh, they like to go walking on this trail. Oh they like this. And, and you know what you did. You know what you did early on in your relationships. That, that, that brought joy in the interaction brought this excitement is that you did the things that they loved, the things that you saw in your studying of them. You acted those things out. You literally go, well, if they love this, this is what I do, even when you don't want to. That's what learning from your spouse is. You look. And so the, the thing is, as we get older, those things change. We have to pay attention I think one of the most disruptive things in our relationships in general um, is this thing that I'm filming this service on, which is my iPhone. It's a thing that we look at. I, I, I heard some um, statement the other day. I think it said that we touch our phone 2,600 times a day. 2,000. 
Imagine for all of that time that we're spending looking at social media and all these other things that we're, we're sitting in proximity to our spouses, maybe in the same room, maybe on the same couch, but we're not spending time together. So you have to put some of those things away. You have to be intentional about becoming a student of your spouse. Uh, so that's one thing. You've got to always be listening, learning what they like and what they don't like and, and investing in those things, which we'll talk about a, a great book to figure out what potentially your spouse's love language is. Another thing that you need to have on your schedule is have a date night. And let me just tell you, and some of you out there, you're like, we are broke. We got no money for a date. We have toddlers in our house. We have no time for a date. Uh, let me just tell you, uh, let me just challenge you, um, false. You don't need money to go on a good date. I talked to one of our elders the other day. He and his wife went downtown, spent $8, and had a great time downtown together, walking, having, I think it was chili cheese fries, together. $8. And you're like, well, I can't get out of the house because we've got little kids and we whatever. And let me just tell you, a key to a great date night is putting your children to bed Early enough so that you can. Jody and I have three kids. Now they're 18, 16, and 11. But they used to be really little. And our first two were 19 months apart. And yes, we had little, little kids. And one of our key things is for our little kids is they had a consistent early bedtime so that even when we had toddlers even when we didn't have uh, babysitting money even when we didn't have even the time to get a babysitter the money to go out to eat we intentionally had one day a week that the kids would be well they're always in bed at a certain given time but one day a week was a specific it was our date night we would have dinner a little bit later after they went to bed we'd have a movie or play games or do something but you have to figure that out and what my challenge to you right now if you do nothing else out of this, and if you're married, is establish a date night. Define what that looks like. You may not even leave your house. Your date night just may be that you put your phones down for a block of time on a given night of the week, and you have a focused intention of spending time with your spouse you can your date night can be going for a walk your date night the beauty is that the beaches are now open you can drive down and go for a walk on the beach our city is offers so many options for you to go out together that cost you nothing you can go by and pick up a a fast food meal and go sit on the beach you can go go to the park here there's so many things that you can do that cost you little to no money and when restaurants open up and we can go sit in those things again the restaurants because we can't do that right now um then take your wife out on a nice date occasionally within your budget. We're talking about next week, how do we get unstuck in our finances? So we'll have some more creative ideas of you to, you know, help in that area. But define a date night for you and your spouse. And so like I challenge you today to figure out when that is and hard and fast. And I know there's sometimes that it won't be available because of circumstances and other things, but stay hard and fast to that date night. You've got to spend time together. And of course, learning and talking back again, studying, don't avoid the hard things. 
Avoiding will not fix them. You've got to lean into them. And this is one book I recommend that if you've never gone through it with your spouse, um, I'm sure there's copies in the church. If you don't want to buy one uh, that you could probably put out on social media and say, I want to borrow somebody's The Five Love Languages. There's a great book out there because the reality is, is some of us don't know what our significance other, our significant others love language is. And so the five love languages are words, gifts, service, time, and touch. Those are the five love languages that your spouse, one of those is their primary. The problem with most of us is we have no idea what our spouse's primary love language is. And the reality is, is you typically do what you want. So if you love receiving gifts, you may be giving, you may be the most gift giving person to your spouse, but gift giving gifts may not be top on their list. You may be thinking, man, I'm doing an excellent job, man, I'm doing all these things. And the problem is that if we're sk- scratching the wrong itch, like your wife could be going, hey, hey, um, could you scratch this it- itch? And you're like, yeah, 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 I got you, I got you. No, 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 no. scratch this itch. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. The, that's what <laughs> working. So you could be putting all this effort and energy into the thing that's not feeding, fueling, filling that love tank. And so I recommend, if you've not done this already, is to get the book, read through those, and ask questions with your spouse. Like, what are you? Find out what they are and invest in that. Because we can make these things better. So here, here's, here's the, the four things. Remembering to assume the best. Asking and granting forgiveness and when necessary which is probably more sooner than later, ask for help, deciding that love is a choice and become a student of your spouse. And you can do all of these same things with any relationships, but mostly I'm talking about marriage because like I said at the beginning of this, 22 years, that's the most predominant relationship I've ever had. It's the one I'm going to continue to invest in. So you have to live these things out. So remember, Jesus said for us to follow him. Following him is an action. If we're going to take his yoke upon us, if we're going to move out of this stuck. So if your relationship is stuck and it's not moving forward, continuing to do the same thing over and over again isn't going to change it. It's time to make a game plan for correcting that. And so, no, I know that I've presented a lot of information to you. I know that um, there's probably more, especially if your relationship's more on uh, the difficult side of the spectrum. You may be like, I don't even know where to begin. And, and if you heard one thing in here, just do the one thing. I, I know I've given you here four things that, you know, the remembering, asking, deciding. You're like, I don't, I don't know where to start. Just pick one thing and start moving forward start living this new life and i just remind you like we talked about last week make sure that you're putting on the right yoke and the reality is that some of us listening some of you listening right now uh, you, you may be the other side of that spectrum from the ephesians 4 conversation that we had a second ago that you you've not trusted you've not 
put on that yoke. You've not trusted Jesus with your life. And, and today you may just say, I need help. It is the first and best place to ask for help. And, and literally, you today, you might be going, God, I need that forgiveness. I, I cannot give forgiveness to these people without experiencing it from you. And, and here's the reality. Is that you were never made to do this alone. God through the whole history of man has been working towards a way that we could be connected to him. And, and that, that came to a head 2000 years ago when Jesus entered our world. And he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserve so that he could purchase life for us. And, and you right now can say, in, 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 sitting in your room going, God, I, I want that. I, I need that forgiveness. I need you to show me life. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he does. And he's going to help take that yoke off. And put this new yoke, the one that's easy and light, that he wants to give you. And so today, right at the end of service, you can pray and just say, God, I want to be yours. It didn't have to be fancy words, uh, but it is it is the beginning, the start of a new relationship with Jesus. And a relationship, just like we talked here, is one of action, not just decision. So choose to follow just like you're going to choose to do some of these things to help your relationships get unstuck. Let's pray. Jesus. Our brokenness in relationships needs a healer. And Lord, that healer is you. And Lord, I, I just ask, I plead with you that for those that are listening to this and they're, they don't, they're so far away from feeling that I can do this. Lord, I, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you can move in and begin to build the uh, possibility of a relationship that's worth working on. Lord, I pray for hope in those relationships right now that need it. Lord, I pray for those that, like we talked about just a second ago, that may be just going, I need you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I need, I need that yoke for me to walk this out. And Jesus, as they pray with you after this, Lord, I pray that there would be a, an encounter with you, the living God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would bring life and life abundantly. And so, Lord, do in our relationships what we need to see your gospel reality lived out in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I wish uh, at the end of this that I would be in the hallway saying hello, shaking your hand, giving you a hug before you leave. Uh, one week soon, we'll be back to that place where we at least get to see each other all in one room. 
And until that happens, I want you to know that we love you. We care for you. Stay connected to the church. If you need something, uh, our email is info at reach communitychurch.com shoot us an email Uh, make sure to like follow and subscribe us on social media and as soon as we have a a path forward we will let you know and we look forward to that day we'll see you next time